This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're going to do a little series here because I have somebody on the line who I think is kind of misunderstood and a bit on the controversial side as it pertains to Jets coverage. Somebody very well known, not just to Jets fans, but around the league and a lot of fans from other teams know his work. A lot of that is because he's broken a lot of stories, but a lot of it is because he's come under fire for some things that he said and written. And so what I wanted to do was talk to him about his journey to where he got to, talk about what's going on with the state of the team right now, and then cover some of the more controversial things that have gone on in terms of some of his tweets or some of his columns and so on and so forth. Of course, I'm talking about Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Manish, I'm really glad that you were able to come on. Thanks for hopping on, man. Thanks for having me on, Scott. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I have a ton of questions for you, and I give you a lot of credit. Look, I'll say this right off the bat. You know this. I've criticized you plenty. I've also paid you compliments when I felt you deserve them, too. And I do think that there are a lot of questions that I have and a lot of Jets fans have, and so I want to ask you about them. And when we were talking about you coming on the show... I asked you if there was anything that was off the table. In other words, if there were any subjects that you didn't want me asking about. And you said, listen, anything I've written, anything I've said publicly, it's all fair game. Feel free to ask. And I'm just going to lay this out here right now for anybody that doesn't know. And if you listen to the show, you know this. I don't sandbag people. I don't yell. I don't talk over people. That's not what this is about. This is about having a conversation and learning. And that's what this podcast has always been about. And it's what it's continued to be about. And that's why I'm glad Manish is on to talk about this. So let's start with what's going on with the Jets right now, Manish. Obviously, people have come at you because of what was going on with Adam Gase and Mike McCagnan and that whole scenario. A big part of that was because of your defiant declaration on Twitter that there was absolutely no truth to the rumors that Mike McCagnin's job was in danger and then of course as we know he was let go as general manager of the New York Jets so what happened there Manish? Well I think to be precise uh, I think there was I said there was a 200% chance right. that, uh, the, that report uh, was, was incorrect uh, and look it's embarrassing I, I, I wouldn't be honest if I told you that it wasn't embarrassing because you know, I, I've built my career on getting credible information and reporting what's happening, whether it's good or whether it's not good, favorable, not favorable to the organization. Uh, you know, my motivation for covering this team, just as I've covered other teams and other sports my entire career, is to get credible, real information out there. So for me to come out that strongly and say there was absolutely no truth to the rumor that Mike McCagan was getting fired, obviously I had what I believed was pretty solid information. I mean, exceptionally solid, uh, you know, based on the, the the specific people that I spoke to in the organization. And uh, it's a little bit disappointing. Uh, you know, I, I can't take it back. Uh, I I was told by people who I you know believed in and trusted that that information was not true. That that you know suggestion that McCagnan would be let go was completely false. So, uh, but look, I'm the reporter, right? So I I'll I'll have to take the bullets. Uh, on, on that one, uh, it's not something I'm particularly happy about. But you move on, and I think for for me and my job, an experience like that really uh, helps me moving forward because I have a better sense of who who I can trust moving forward uh, in terms of information. Uh, I, I don't think any of the stuff is personal. Uh, I don't think anybody gave me incorrect information to you know to stick it to me, for lack of a better phrase. I just think it was extremely unfortunate. But I live and learn just like everybody else uh, in any profession lives and learns. Uh, 
but uh, you know, I, I'll go back to what I said from the beginning. I, it was embarrassing, and uh, I take full ownership of that. Uh, what I will say, and this is not to excuse, uh, you know, the fact that I was was wrong because I was wrong, is that uh, I think that I was not the only person that was misled uh, in, in terms of media, in terms of covering the team. But uh, but yeah, I take great pride in getting you know truthful information out there and sharing it with the readers, sharing it with the fans. And uh, the fact that, uh, you know, I didn't do that in this particular case uh, is something that I take full ownership of. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I'm sure you're aware of the perception that you were a mouthpiece for Mike McCagnan and Brian Hemmerdinger. And this is not me accusing you. This is obviously something that's out there. You know this. In fact, I had one prominent national football writer say to me, if I want to understand what Mike McCagnan's motivations are or what he's trying to do, all I have to do is read Manish Mehta in the Daily News. So that made me laugh at the time, and that's obviously a popular perception. Do you look back at your reporting during the Mike McCagnan era and understand why people felt this way? And you just talked about getting information from sources that you trust. I'm not asking you to tell me exactly who it was that was giving you information, but were you getting information mostly from one camp as opposed to from multiple different camps when it came to all of the different conflicts that were going on around the Jets over the last few years? Well, let me preface the answer by saying, just as a general rule, for as long as I've been a reporter, uh, I don't confirm or deny who I speak to or who I don't speak to because mm-hmm. it's a slippery slope. I mean, that's just ethically speaking from a journalistic sure standpoint uh you don't get into yeah i speak to this person no i don't speak to that person mm-hmm. because again that opens up a pandora's box and i don't think any any uh, credible journalist uh, would ever do that when whether they cover football or politics or you know whatever they cover that's just not something that a, a journalist and a reporter should do uh what i will say is that i take a lot of pride in trying to get as much information from all sides as possible and that's typically three sides it's not you know, if you're talking about team, not team, there's there's typically uh, at least I should say at least three sides to, to every bit of information that comes out, and uh, you know some of some of it. I mean, some of it's pretty straightforward. But when you're talking about something in depth, for example, uh, and I can turn and, and you know this, Scott, because I know you you know you follow the team close enough that you know 
Uh, I had a, a fairly significant story in December about a rift between uh, Mike McCagnan and Todd Bowles, and, and it was pretty in depth. And uh, and I know that there were people who covered the team, people who uh, are fans of the team, people who work for the team, who tried to figure out well who did he speak to, who was his source on this, and and that's the the type of story in which there is no singular source, and it's not something where you sit down or have a conversation. Uh, with somebody and they spill all the beans about what's happening. That's information that's gathered over uh, a long period of time from so many different places uh, that the paint, the picture that I painted in that story, for example, was so accurate. I mean, that it was reality because, again, it was gathered over a period of time by so many different people. So I, I understand the perception that uh, I was in Mike McCagnin's back pocket. I've heard it before, long before Mike McCagnin got here. Mm-hmm. It'll probably happen, you know, long after Mike McCagnin is gone, uh, whether it's the GM, the coach, players. I hear it all the time. I've heard it uh, from from people on social media. I've heard it from from other reporters who are probably wondering, uh, and nobody specific, but, you know, over the period of, period of time, uh, who are probably wondering, well, how's he getting this information here? How's he doing that? I know the Jets inside the building have uh, really tried to take a thorough examination of who I speak to or who I don't speak to. I just can't get caught up in that. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't get caught up in that world because the, the reason that I think I produce good work is that the people who do speak to me over time trust that the information that they're giving me will remain confidential. And that that's really the lifeblood of my profession. If if anyone thinks that they can't trust me, they're not gonna they're not gonna give me information, whether it's information that's favorable toward the organization or maybe information that's critical of the organization. Uh so I can't get into you know, I, I can't really get into responding to anyone saying, you know, this guy might be a source, that guy might be a source. Mm-hmm. It's definitely coming from this side, or it's absolutely not coming from that side. I just can't do it because I, I, I have, uh, you know, I have a confidence and a trust in people that uh, the information that they're providing to me will stay, uh, you know, will, will, you know, it will not be you know, tweeted out. You know, I'm not going to ever divulge. Who I speak to, uh, you know, long after I retire, and or long after I stop covering the New York Jets. That's just not how I operate, and uh, I think that the way that I operate is the, the correct way. Because otherwise, if you know, people don't trust you, uh, you're not, you're never going to get information. And I think in my business, uh, the driving force is always to present what's actually happening inside the organization. I'm not a cheerleader. I, I don't work. For the Johnsons, I'm not an employee of the New York Jets. Now, what I will say is this, and I, and I know that Jets fans can can certainly agree uh, with me on this: is that when things are going really well, uh, I almost get painted as a cheerleader for the team. Mm-hmm. I've heard that so many times from Bills fans, Dolphins fans, and and probably more than anybody else, Patriot fans. When when I am effusive in my praise of a player, uh, for example, Sam Darnold. I think anyone who, who's read anything that I've written over the past year and a half realizes that I believe that Sam Darnold is going to have an extremely bright future in this league. Uh, and there's some people that say, well, you know, you're, you're over the top. You're, you're too much of a cheerleader. So I get it both ways. But, uh, but, I, but I have to stress, again, that my job is to present what's actually happening in the organization to be fair when things are going well, when things are not going well, uh, not sweep that under the rug, and just, again, present to the readers uh, an accurate depiction of what's happening. And that's why, just going back to your original question, that's why 
know, it was particularly embarrassing for me to not have the information about the general manager's future correct. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. As you were saying, as far as the cheerleader thing, that was one thing that drove me nuts during your interview with Joe Beningo about the Doug Marone thing, which we'll get into later. He was yelling and screaming and saying, you don't care about the team, you don't care about the team. That's not your job. Your job's not to care about the team. Your job's to be a reporter. I understand that, and I think a lot of other people do as well. But one thing that was interesting to me as far as that goes is, yeah, you definitely can be perceived as a cheerleader as far as Sam Darnold and other times. I mean, I saw Barstool Sports was calling you the Jets' number one cheerleader along the lines of what you're saying, so that made me laugh when I read it. But when you have a Twitter meltdown of sorts, and I'm not trying to be too hyperbolic, but it kind of seemed like you were getting very, very upset over Twitter right after this whole thing with Mike McCagnan happened. And it looked like there was some extra barbs being thrown at Adam Gase and at the Johnsons. You could see where the perception that had been there all along as far as you being a mouthpiece for McCagnin and Heimerdinger would be strengthened in the eyes of the fans, right? Because they'll look at that and say, well, now those guys are gone. He's mad and he's going after the people that ousted him. No, I think that. The reality of what happened is that, A, I'm a very passionate person. And sure. I, look, you know, fans are not going to know that. They don't know me. You know, they, they, they think they, they have an idea of, of what I'm like based on what they read or what they, what I tweet. They, they don't know anything about me, uh, in terms of my personality. Uh, I'm a very passionate person. I have strong opinions. That's part of the reason why I have the job, is that I have strong mm-hmm. opinions, uh, on both sides of the spectrum. Uh, again, positive or critical of the organization. I just thought, based on the information that I ultimately got as well, I just thought this was handled in such a poor manner. If Mike McCagnin had been fired uh, with Todd Bowles after the season, uh, I think that more than 50% of the fan base, and that might be conservative, but certainly more people than not would have not thought it was a big deal because Mike McCagnin's track record is what it is. I mean, there are some good moves that he's made. He's clearly whiffed on a lot of decisions, uh, He's been indecisive. I actually wrote uh, about his indecisiveness costing them perhaps uh, their center of the future the other day. So there are a lot of shortcomings uh, when it comes to Mike McCagnin. The idea that Mike McCagnin was fired, that shouldn't be entirely surprising in a vacuum. What I thought was incredibly dysfunctional and reflective of an indecisive owner was that it happened three weeks after the draft. There's a reason why general managers typically aren't fired uh, at the in the middle of May. I mean, it's not a, it's not that it's unprecedented because clearly there have been examples, uh, most notably John Dorsey getting fired uh, later in the calendar year. John Dorsey, of course, had a a, a personal rift with not personal, I should say, a professional uh, rift with uh, with Andy Reid, and and that prompted that. So there are different examples uh, of. Uh, general managers who've been fired around this time of the year. It's just extremely unusual, and it typically is reflective of an unstable organization. And this notion 
that Christopher Johnson, the day that uh, McCagnan was fired, Christopher Johnson publicly said that this had nothing to do with Adam Gase, frankly, is insulting. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, look, I'm not going to tell people how they should feel uh, as, as a fan, I mean, but if I were a fan, I'd be incredibly insulted that the Jets were trying to insult my intelligence by saying that this move had nothing to do with Adam Gase, because clearly it had everything to do with Adam Gase, and any rational thinking person would realize that. And it's not personal against Christopher Johnson. My reaction is not personal against him. It's not personal against Adam Gase. I actually think that Adam Gase is going to be very good for Sam Darnold and for this offense. But just because I think that Gase will be a good offensive coach for this team doesn't mean that I can't think that what he did to get the general manager who helped fire him uh, to help hire him four months ago ousted isn't wrong. I mean, to me, they're not mutually exclusive. They both can be true. I can have serious reservations about Adam Gase's involvement uh, this offseason in, uh, with with the general manager and still praise him as a good coach for this franchise quarterback. I believe both things are true. I think what happens with fans is that there's this mentality. And I understand this because I grew up a fan of, of, of sports teams as well. But as a fan, you're so invested in your team. Mm-hmm. You live and die by your team. Uh, you know, maybe you're a season ticket holder, and then you're really invested in your team financially. That uh, perhaps you know when things aren't going well, you don't know why things aren't going well because you see Adam Gase on television. Uh, you see him mic'd up at practice this week, and he seems like a very engaging guy, and he is an engaging guy, believe me, I know that. Uh, and you don't want to believe that things are happening behind the scenes, so the easy person to point the finger at, the easy person to blame is the person delivering the news that maybe things aren't uh, so, you know, so perfect behind the scenes, and that's typically reporters. So reporters are an easy target. I, I've been doing this long enough to know that, it's it's so easy to blame a reporter as opposed to thinking a little bit more critically and saying, well, what is this reporter saying, and why is he saying it? Did I roll out of bed and and make up all of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes? Of course I didn't. I mean, this is information that I gathered because it's it's my job. So I I do understand the frustration on fans' part, specifically fans of teams that aren't usually successful. And the Jets fans, you know, I don't have to tell them that, but they know that their franchise hasn't been particularly successful uh, probably in most of their lifetime. So the fact that there's a lot of misdirected uh, anger, misdirected disappointment toward reporters, and in this particular example, me, isn't entirely surprising. But I just think that you know, if you're being honest about the situation, you'd have to sit back and say, hey, you know what, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. Some fans don't care about that stuff. Some fans uh, don't want to know about that stuff. I understand that. But my job is to prov- to provide all that information, and if you don't want to listen to it or you don't care about it, that's your prerogative. I totally understand that. But th- th- this idea of you know, and it's, again, it's just it's not just me; it's other reporters on other teams and other sports. But this idea of of uh, you know casting aspersions at reporters to me has always been misguided. 
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I totally understand the idea of don't kill the messenger. I've had people get upset with me over things that I've said on this podcast because I'm not always positive. I'm positive when I think the situation warrants it, but I always give my honest opinions. So if I think something is bad, I'm going to say so. Chris Nimbley is a friend of mine who you know who's also on the beat. He's reported stories and people have gotten upset with him because he was saying things they didn't want to hear. Things that, by the way, ended up being true. I know that you've had your issues with Rich Semini, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but Rich is also somebody who's come under a lot of fire over the years for talking about things in not so positive of a light, and then people get upset at him even when he's telling the truth. So believe me, I totally understand. Don't shoot the messenger. Just look at what's actually going on, and just because you don't like what's being reported doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't true, but... Along those lines of what is true and what isn't true with this, how do you think it did play out with the hiring of Adam Gase, Mike McCagnan getting ousted and all that? And also, do you think that the fact that you came out and called the Jets a clown show and all that afterwards played into the perception that we were talking about that the fans will then just say, well, I already didn't like Manish and now I'm really going to pile on him because he seems to be using this as an opportunity to bash the Jets? Well... The first part of the question is what actually happened uh, over these, what, four and a half months uh, before McCagney was fired. I think, uh, I get into details, but uh, reduced to simplest terms, essentially, Adam Gay surveyed the landscape. He's a very savvy person. Obviously, you wouldn't be in his position uh, as a second-time head coach and now <laughs> a second-time head coach with a lot of power without ever actually coaching a game for the second team if you weren't savvy. I think what Adam Gase did is he surveyed the landscape. I don't think he went in with any kind of idea that he wanted to get Mike McCagnin out when he was hired. He didn't really know Mike McCagnin, uh, other than through the interview process and through people that may have known Mike McCagnin. But getting references and uh, information about a particular person that you're going to be working with is a lot different than actually living it, right, and going through discussions and meetings and free agency and the draft. You have to kind of go through it to get a sense of whether you can truly thrive with this other other person. And Adam Gase did not believe that that was possible. And, and look, he's, it's well within his right to, to think that. And I'm not saying that he's wrong. Uh, my issue is that if, I put, and if, if any fan puts themselves in Adam Gase's position, maybe it's a 50-50 split. Maybe some people will see it the way that Gase did, and then maybe some people will see it the way that I did. The way that I would look at it is, you know, I, I just got fired uh, after uh, three seasons uh, as the head coach. No other team was going to hire me. Yes, Adam Gase did interview with Green Bay and Arizona, I believe, uh, but they weren't going to hire him. So he was not going to get another head coaching opportunity in 2019. The Jets were the only team that were going to give him that opportunity. Mike McCagnin and Christopher Johnson hired him. Make no mistake, Mike McCagnin hired him. Uh, He didn't pay him. The Johnsons paid him. But there is no chance that Christopher Johnson or uh, Woody Johnson would have hired Adam Gase if, Mike McCagnin did not want him. So uh, for all intents and purposes, Adam Gase was hired by Mike McCagnin. 
So if you're in that position and you know that you're not going to get any other opportunity, this guy takes a chance on you and says, hey, you know what, I think you can be good for a quarterback. I think this makes a lot of sense. I mean, are there risks involved? Absolutely, there's risks involved. This is a guy who was just fired after three years in Miami for a reason. And part of the reason was that there was some friction with the ownership. So there's clearly uh, some risk there that the Jets were taking. And so if I'm Adam Gase and I say, hey, this guy took a chance on me, I would give it, at the very least, a year to see if they can work together. And, and, and Mike McCagnan had done all of the heavy lifting to this point. Not only did he hire Gase, but he, he, he directed free agency. He ran the draft. And at that point, the heavy lifting is over. So if you're, if you're Adam Gase, even if you're not happy with certain things that transpired over the three months, there isn't anything significant that was going to happen from mid-May until the end of the calendar year to, to make you think, I, I hate Mike McCagnin professionally, not personally, but I hate Mike McCagnin even more uh, than, than I do now. Like he, when December rolled around, he wasn't going to feel any worse about McCagnin as a general manager uh, than he did you know, in, in mid-May. So why not give the relationship a year? That's how I would look at it. Not everybody's going to look at it that way. Uh, other people will look at it the way that Gase looked at it, which is, uh, I can tell. It's four months in. I can tell it's not going to work. Uh, Adam Gase, by nature, is an extremely opinionated and emotional person. I think that he has so many good qualities and traits to be a successful head coach. I think he's still rough around the edges and, and and frankly I think that I think he needs to mature in some areas and I I don't want to make that sound like a this incredible swipe at him because I don't think it is I think that objectively if you talk to people who have worked with Adam Gase professionally they will say something similar that he is an extremely bright guy he has so much to offer and he can be so successful but he does need to mature in certain areas. I just think he's so emotional, and sometimes that emotion manifests itself in an unproductive way. And uh, Mike McCagan is really completely the opposite. You know, he is he 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 isn't uh, you know as uh, as emotional. He isn't uh, a guy who's going to really be the, be this strong personality. And I think I actually think that you know, there are elements to McCagan's uh, personality that are exactly what you need in a general manager. You can't have the general manager be the emotional guy. You need him to be the guy above board who's kind of serving the landscape uh, in a very calculating manner. Now, that being said, I do believe that McCagney was too indecisive, and I know uh, I know that Adam Gates believed that that indecisiveness was uh, you know, a big reason why he felt he could not work with McCagney moving forward. Uh, uh, and, you know, you and I can talk about specific stuff in free agency. I'm sure you want to talk about Le'Veon Bell. I can get into the details about what happened there. But uh, I, I just think that given the fact that this guy gave you an opportunity and given the fact that all the heavy lifting had been done, and by, by every objective measure, the, the Jets got some quality additions this year in free agency and the draft. So given those those facts, why not see how the relationship works out over the next, you know, six, seven months, and then and then kind of reassess where you are after the 2018 season. You know, there's a reason why stuff like this doesn't happen, where you get a new coach coming in and uh, the GM that hired him gets fired four months later and then the new coach assumes all this control. It's, it's very unusual. So basically what I, what I think happened, in fact, you know, what I'm fairly certain happened is that Adam Gase saw the, some of the shortcomings that McCagnin had. He saw this leadership 
vacuum or void, and he seized on that opportunity. And he, you know, he got in pretty well with the owner, and the owner ultimately thought that it'd be smarter to move forward with a guy that he had known for four months uh, over a guy that he had known for for four years. Now, you know, that's the gaze element to it. Chris, there's another Christopher Johnson component to this as well, which is, was Christopher Johnson concerned about McCagnan? Uh, yeah, the answer to that question is yes. He's never going to admit it publicly, but I think that he was concerned, and I know for a fact that very important people in the organization were concerned about keeping McCagnan aboard. Uh, Christopher Johnson thought, okay, I've got some reservations about the GM. However, if I fire him, I'm kind of lost. I don't know how I can conduct a GM and a head coaching search, so I'll lean on McCagnan and Heimerdinger to help me through this process. And then after we bring the new head coach on board, hopefully these shortcomings that McCagnan has uh, are improved, and hopefully he can get better at these things that I know that he perhaps is deficient at. And that was Christopher Johnson's mindset for keeping uh, McCagnan and letting Todd Bowles go. Uh, I can also tell you with 100% certainty, this time it's actually uh, 100%, I'm not going 200%, but <laughs> I can say with 100% certainty that Woody Johnson uh, was on board to fire Mike McCagnan at the end of the season if, in fact, that's what Christopher wanted. And again, Christopher ultimately did not want that because he did not want to conduct a GM search because he frankly didn't know the first thing about picking out real candidates and good candidates and going through the interview process alone. So he figured that McCagnan and Heimerdinger could help him along that along that uh, uh, along those lines, and that uh, McCagnan could improve on some of these areas that uh, Christopher Johnson believed McCagnan was deficient at. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You mentioned Le'Veon Bell, so let's talk about that a little bit. What happened with that, and what were some of the other specific incidents that you know about that led to the schism? Well, the Le'Veon Bell is an interesting one, because uh, regardless of what has come out recently and regardless of what anybody says moving forward, the the truth is that uh, Adam Gates did not want Le'Veon Bell. Period. He did not want Le'Veon Bell. There are a number of reasons for that. I think from a football perspective, uh, the most important reason that Jets fans should be aware of is that Adam Gase does not believe he needs a three-down back or a quote-unquote workhorse in his offense. Uh, he likes shuttling guys in and out. He, he, he does not have any history of having a, a, a superstar running back. I think he feels comfortable, or had felt comfortable, I should say, not having that marquee superstar guy at that position. Uh, he likes using uh, a running back-specific skill set to his advantage in his offense. So if a guy is good in a particular area, he'll use him in uh, certain situations that uh, would accentuate those positives. So that means running back by committee, uh, you know, for lack of a better better phrase. Uh, I think if you, if you look at Gase's history, Maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but I want to say that the closest thing that he had to a workhorse was no Sean Moreno in in Denver. Uh, maybe I'm missing somebody else, but uh, he feels comfortable, uh, you know, having uh, you know multiple guys at, at, in the backfield handle that. Uh, he's always felt comfortable handling uh, with that, you know, with that approach. So that being said, he did not want Le'Veon Bell. He quickly realized that ownership wanted Le'Veon Bell, and that. Uh, Mike McCagnan was fine with Le'Veon Bell. Whether Mike McCagnan truly wanted Bell or not, I don't know. I, I can't say for certain. What I do know is that Mike McCagnan was was on board with what ownership wanted. He was okay with that. Once uh, Adam Gase realized that Le'Veon Bell was coming to the Jets, you know, unless there was some 
some offer out of left field from some other team, he had a good sense that Le'Veon Bell was going to come to the Jets because ownership wanted it. And that was an ownership-driven decision. Because of that, he pivoted and 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 internally made it clear that he did not want to pay big money for two positions, running back and center. Those were the, the, the two positions he just did not want to pay a lot of money for. And so if we keep this conversation to the running back part of it, that's just another way of saying the same thing, which is I don't want Le'Veon Bell, because Adam Gase is smart enough to realize that Le'Veon Bell wasn't going to get peanuts. Somebody was going to pay him, whether that was $10 million a year, 11, 12, 13, 14, which is where the Jets ultimately settled, or even beyond. He was going to be quote-unquote overpaid for a running back in 2019. I think that was fairly obvious. So he was essentially trying to get his point across by saying it a different way, which is I'll take the running back, uh, I just don't want to pay a lot of money for him. So that has really become the narrative now, which I think is pretty funny because I know the truth. The truth is he didn't want Bell, and then once he realized that wasn't going to happen, he, he pivoted and said, well, I'll take the running back, I just don't want to pay a lot. Because now uh, what has come out over the last couple of weeks is, well, you know, Adam Gates never said he didn't like Le'Veon Bell, he didn't want Le'Veon Bell, it's just he didn't want to pay a lot of money for him, which is true, but that's only a byproduct of what he initially and truly wanted, which was he didn't want Le'Veon Bell. So that that's the Le'Veon Bell part of the, uh, the discussion. He was not happy when they paid Le'Veon Bell essentially, you know, two years, $28 million. I know it's, what, a four-year, 52 and change million-dollar deal, but for all intents and purposes, the, the guaranteed money runs out after two years. It's essentially $14 million a year for the next two years. Uh, he was not happy about it. Uh, uh, you know, maybe if he writes his memoirs one day, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll admit that, <laughs> but the reality is that he did not want Le'Veon Bell. He thought the money was too, too much for him, and the reality on you know, in in early June, is that none of that really matters now. It's interesting information. As in real time, it's interesting information. And and you know, I've said this to people in the organization. I've said it publicly as well. It's my job to hold people like Adam Gase, the head coach, accountable in the moment. So there was a you know there was a a pretty a pretty uh, you know I I don't know I don't want to say contentious because I can't speak on Adam Gase's behalf, but it was a pretty. Uh, strong uh, press conference that he had when he had to explain McCagnan's firing uh, and Le'Veon Bell. I just think as a reporter, you have to hold these people accountable in the moment. That doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to ask Adam Gase, Le'Veon Bell, or Mike McCagnan questions for the next five months or two years or three years or however long he's going to be the Jets head coach. That doesn't mean that at all, and it's not. that's not going to happen. But in the moment, you have to ask tough questions. You have to confront these issues. And you know, I don't think anybody, frankly, anybody in my position would be doing their job properly if they tiptoed around uh, the Le'Veon Bell issue, the Mike McCagnan issue. Uh, those are things that have to be addressed head on in the moment, and then you move on. You know, you, you address them, you, you, you say and report what you know. Uh, you know, I'm a columnist slash beat reporter, which is probably a different discussion for another time. So there's a gray area there for me where I inject my opinion as well, but my opinions are formed based on the information that I have. Uh, but again, in the moment, you have to hold Christopher Johnson, Adam Gase, in, in this particular example, uh, accountable. Uh, if not, you're not really doing your job. That is going to wrap up part one of this multi-part discussion with New York Daily News beat reporter slash columnist Manish Mehta, who's quite the lightning rod. We talked about the recent controversies involving Mike McCagnan and Adam Gase, but we we're also going to talk about some of his biggest past controversies as well over the next couple of weeks. Plus, we're going to learn a lot more about Manish as a person, including his journey to his current job 
at the New York Daily News. There's a lot of information there that people don't know and that is going to be told for the very first time on this podcast. So really looking forward to bringing that to you over the next couple of weeks. Also throughout the rest of the week, a lot of great content, including training camp reports with Chris Nimbley and Daryl Slater, a podcast covering Joe Douglas's tenure in Baltimore, where he spent 16 years so we can learn a lot about his formative seasons in the NFL serving under Ozzie Newsom, a brand new Chronicles of Nania, where we will compare the draft records of Mike McCagnan and John Idzik, Hopefully, Joe Douglas has a better draft record than both of those guys, but it's worth looking back at them to see exactly where they went wrong and from there hope that Joe Douglas does not repeat their mistakes. And then we'll have some fun over the weekend with some mailbag questions. Before we wrap up, just wanted to remind you, if you could, please go ahead over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take much time, but it really helps us out a lot, so I'd really appreciate if you could do that for us. People ask why this is important, and the reason is iTunes reviews help increase the visibility of the show to the point where if somebody searches it, it pops right up, which means that it allows us to be able to recruit guests very easily for the show and continue to provide you with the very best programming that we can. This show is free of charge seven days a week, and it always will be. I don't ask for much, but if you could go ahead and do me this small favor by giving us a five-star review on iTunes, I'd really appreciate it. Also want to remind you to subscribe to Joe Caparoso's Turn on the Jets podcast and TOJ Film Room with Joe Blewett. Both Joes have been on fire lately. Caparoso has had some incredible guests, including Tony Pauline and Mike Lombardi. Meanwhile, Joe Blewett has been his outstanding self as always, reviewing the film like nobody else can. He's got a 140-play review. Yep, 140-play review of Sam Darnold coming to the Turn on the Jets TV YouTube channel. So if you're not subscribed to Joe Caparoso's podcast or the Turn on the Jets YouTube channel, which features all of Joe Blewett's great film work, go ahead and subscribe now. And I also hope that you will support Joe Blewett in his future venture, which is going to involve reviews of some of the league's best players that are not on the Jets. If you enjoy his Jets-based reviews, you're going to enjoy those too, and it'll help you learn about some of the best players in the league. So make sure that you're subscribed to both Joe Caparoso's podcast and our YouTube channel so that you can watch Joe Blewett's incredible film work. Thanks again to Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News for joining me for part one of this multi-part series. He will be back next week for part two of this series. In the meantime, if you're not already, go ahead and follow Manish on Twitter, read his work in the Daily News, and for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.